Scuttlebutt podcast episode number seven. Scuttlebutt is written by Donnie McVean, read by Roger Burley, hosted and produced by Leslie McVean. Music, Scuttlebutt, courtesy of the composer, Chuck Romanoff. Scuttlebutt is a Bertha May production and is sponsored by Portland Media Center. Scuttlebutt is the story of two young men from a tiny community in Casco Bay, Maine, one who went to war during World War II and one who stayed home, and how their dreams of life in the community have changed. When we last left Scuttle, Spermer and Manley were trying to figure out where to get a boat and decided a trip to Portland was in order. And now, part seven of Scuttlebutt. Just don't you tell just nobody that you heard it from me. Just don't you tell just nobody that you heard it from me. See the burly longshoreman showing off his biceps, even and a hauling mighty freighters in and out. All of the town folk think he's quite a guy, except he don't lift a finger to help around the house. Scuttlebutt, ain't it a shame? Nobody knows, nobody's to blame. The truth ain't pretty, I think you'll agree. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me. After spending most of a day on the Portland waterfront, Sperma was all for checking in at the St. Regis Hotel. But Manley resisted and took them to a marine equipment dealer instead that had been suggested by a fisherman. There were boats there for sale, but they were suitable, were they suitable for lobstering? They were all LCVP landing craft, built mostly of plywood. We'll be back in the morning if we're still interested, Manley advised a young man who had been most helpful to them. Well, let me give you boys a little advice. No matter what the boss gives you for a price, don't pay more than half of that. And whatever you do, don't mention me in the bargaining. Well, they spent the night at the St. Regis Hotel with Sperma upset that Manley simply wouldn't spend any money for entertainment. Sperma could not understand Manley's penny pitching after he had contributed $31 of the 36 his sister had returned to him. And Manley did stop the truck at The Hungry, a restaurant on Commercial Street, where each had a five-cent cup of coffee to drink with the remnants of yesterday's lunch. They then continued on to see the young salesman they had talked to yesterday. Can we get right in one of them landing badges, do you think, Louie? Well, sure. Why don't we go now while my Uncle Abe is away? Manley had seen LCVPs while he was in the Navy, but had never been in one. Sperma had only seen them in movie reels. They were quite impressed, especially Sperma when he found that one of the holes had held a 40 caliber machine gun. He was quite downcast when notified that the Navy had removed them. He couldn't help thinking that with that gun, they'd scare them mainlanders right back beyond Route 1. But Manley could not figure out how to haul traps in this high-sided landing craft. He talked it over with his father this morning, and he still was totally unsure if this rig was usable. Then Uncle Abe came on the scene 
and he could be quite persuasive. That LCV is perfectly, is absolutely perfect for anything you boys want to haul. Why do you think the government built dozens of these boats? One reason, they are perfect for hauling. I just wish Mr. Higgins was here. He designed these boats, and it would not surprise me to find out that he was a fisherman. Here, Louie, why don't you give these boys a ride? I already did, Uncle. We had a nice ride. Well, we ain't got much money, have we, Manly? Sperma explained to everyone. Are you boys veterans? Manly is. He was wounded in action, and I've been building liberty ships. Could you boys pay $1,500? Well, before Manly could speak, Sperma jumped right in with, Do you think we look like rich or something? Abe looked over at his nephew and asked, How much could you pay, Louie? Well, the nephew didn't know what to say, and he stammered, I, I haven't cashed last week's paycheck yet. I guess I've got 25 or so dollars. If we was to add that in, could you boys buy this boat? Manley finally got a chance to speak. Uncle Abe, we've got a total of about $466, and of that, we should keep at least $15 for rope. So we, I guess, can pay, oh, 450 and that's about all. What do you think, Louie? Should we accept their offer? Yes, would be my word, Uncle. These boats are right in the way. Getting rid of one will really help. Well, boys, she's yours for the payment of $451. Uncle Abe swung his wandering gaze back to the two boys. Do you wonder why I keep going to my nephew? He's my only sister's son, and I'm breaking him in to take over the business. After this morning, I guess I can still see we got a ways to go yet. I think you got off wrong, Uncle. Sperma was very insistent. Sperma, if we spend every cent on this boat, what are we going to do for rope? Manly was worried. Uncle Abe spoke up. Well, just so happens I have a new manila rope coil that I'll throw into the pot. He was extremely anxious to make his first sale of the day. That word manila sold manly, but still he was agitated about something. That was obvious. Spam, I promised Joy I'd meet the train that gets in at 20 past 10 at Union Station. She's bringing her brother home for trial, period, and I can't be late. He started for the truck, turned back, and hollered over to Sperma. You can get things squared away while I'm gone, Sperm, and whatever you do, don't forget the rope. Oh, it was a good thing I remembered, he was thinking, as the train was pulling in at almost ten minutes early. He watched what seemed like hundreds of people hurry past his vantage point before getting his eye on Joy holding right to her troubled twin brother, Lester. Coming up to Manly, she said, We are so glad to see you here. I couldn't imagine what we'd have done without you. I'm packed right close by, but don't you got some luggage? Well, the porter said that he would take care of it, but I don't see him anywhere. Just as she said that, she saw the porter exit the train lugging their huge suitcase. There he is! 
He was a large man with teeth, sparkling smile. Would you like me to take the bag to your car, miss? He saw that the pretty girl was fishing in her pocketbook. Oh, no, my girl. I am most proud that I could have helped in any way, and I do pray that everything will be good for you when you get home. Joy reached up and kissed the porter on the cheek, and he left with a smile and a God bless you. With the three of them on the front seat, it was a crowded trip to the junk shop where Manley got out. His parting words to Joy were, Just take the truck to your house and I'll pick it up sometime. It'll be low tide about the time you get to Halftown. I hope everything works out. He had earlier warned her how bad the tires were and wished her luck. He tried in vain to find Abe, so he proceeded to the dock. When he looked down at the landing craft, the sight almost floored him. Sperma was sitting on a coil of untreated rope that near half filled the boat. Louis was coming up the ladder. He accepted 45 $10 bills, then asked for one more dollar, telling Manley that Uncle Abe would have his hide if the bill of sale didn't say $451 paid in full. Lou also said he saw Abe turn down an offer of $1,995 a week ago for that very same LCVP. Manley shook hands with Louie and climbed down the ladder. Gaining the, the, the deck, his next surprise was to look to be the parts to fabricate a pot hauler. Boy, it sure seems like you hit the jackpot. You laughed to hear Uncle Abe and me going at it over that dollar. That's when I mentioned the pats for a holler, and by God, he threw them right in. But I'll tell you right now, we weren't going to leave in this boat unless we paid that final dollar. Well, we going to get home before dark. We better get a move on, observed Manley. They were headed down Portland Harbor when the Casca Bay Lines ferry Amita overtook them. Seeing that there were lots of girls on the ferry, Sperma climbed up on the bow ramp, waving wildly. By the time the ferry turned for Peaks Island, he was throwing kisses with vigor. They can head for some place they might be able to buy diesel fuel. Manley thought Bailey's Island might be their best bet. You think we'll need gas already? Guess what? They topped off the tanks while you was gone. That was part of the deal with Uncle Abe. Have you got any more surprises, Spam? Oh, yeah. If we have engine trouble in the first six months, they'll take right good care of it. I think about that. If I'd asked, he'd have given us that extra fancy packet he drives. Well, the Amita, after a stop at Forest City Landing, passed them again by the post Coast Guard buoy dock. The fewer and much less exuberant girls paid little attention to Sperma's antics. After again passing the ferry, which was now docked at Great Diamond Island, they headed out through Hussey Sound and escaped the faster ferry. When they reached Halftown, they swung in fairly close to the ferry dock and saw the truck that had carried them to Portland. Manley steered them up onto the beach, just shy of the ferry pier. The first person to arrive was Harvey Longstreet. He'd run faster than Uncle Henry, who struggled to tell them that Joy and Lester had arrived too late to make the tide and Lester didn't appear ready to leave the truck. Still, if they hadn't seen the truck and the two people in it, they wouldn't have had a clue what Harvey was now saying. 
Thankfully, Uncle Henry finally arrived and he knew every word Harvey spoke. Otherwise, neither Sperma nor Manley would have known that Harvey was saying, looks like good chance to try out your landing craft. Neither of the young men had even thought of that. You think we can get the truck down on the beach, Uncle? Well, power companies loaded on to Bailey's badge here two or three times that I know of. Then we go up and down this beach every day in the bus. But she does have dual wheels, and that do make a difference. Melanie went up and asked Joy what she thought of loading on the landing barge. I think that's a wonderful plan, Manley. I'm worried that getting Lester out of the truck may be a problem, though. Still, let's do it. Before Manley got back to the barge, he heard the truck start, and two minutes later, it was on the beach. He looked up just in time to see the truck make a strange maneuver. What is that girl up to now, was all he could think of when he figured out what she was doing. He was then amazed she kept out thinking him all the time. Then he got his eyes on the coil of rope that was taking up too much deck space. We got to stop right here, Manley yelled. Somebody stop her. Sperma ran up and he did just that. Uncle Henry spoke up. Tell you what, boys, I'm sick and tired of that cussed rope that was all there was to be had. I'll swap you pound for pound with potwap, but you will be getting the short end of it because all the potwap will be sizzle, I'm afraid. Well, don't deal, Henry. Where do you want it? Sperma knew a good deal when he saw it. The four of them rolled the 100-pound coil, the 400-pound coil, up to the ferry shed without much trouble. Uncle Henry told them to get in touch when they knew what they wanted for potwap. They directed Joy as she backed onto the LCVP as if she'd been doing it all her life. The tide was just about perfect and the weather lovely, but Manley, looking at the fading sun, was concerned. Unloading the old truck with a disturbed marina board worried him, but now they had no choice. So he put the bow ashore on the best beach he could think of and told Joy, once you get going, I don't think you better keep me I think you'd better keep your foot pressed down on the gas till you get up on the banking, no matter what. Those lights ain't much, are they? Before she let out the clutch, she raced the engine so that she took off pretty fast, and a good thing it was, because when the truck got to the high water mark, the sand got looser and the truck slowed. Then, reaching the less sloping beach, the truck began accelerating just as an old storm-tossed tree became visible in the weak headlights. Remembering Manley's words, she kept the engine straining and they bounced over the tree and up onto solid ground. Sperma half listened as Manley gave him ideas about what to do with their boat for the night. Manley's plan was to drive to Falkingham's house, then pick up Sperma at the ferry pier and drive them both home. The beach where they'd landed was very near where Soames had lived before the fire and their old road was still visible although barely drivable. The trees that had had their own way for years resisted them, but eventually they made it to the main road. You hear why we were so late, Manley? I wondered, but I know how old this truck is and how fragile she be. I was praying you'd make it. Sorry you had any trouble. You are right in one respect. It was truck trouble, but it was most all my own doing. 
I drove over a chimney brick that I should have avoided and blew a tire. That didn't take long, just to put the spare on. <laughs> but then we had a flat tire going also. I didn't think we hit the brick with it, though it was on the same side and back. Maybe, maybe we'll be probably, but never know. We did stop in time, so the tire was hopefully repairable. Only now we had no spare. Then a lively lady stopped in and took the tire to the gas station and got her fixed. She brought it back and helped me put it on, even. Tried to pay her, but she wouldn't take a cent, even for getting the tire repaired. Every person I met today has been just the same way. They just can't do enough for us. Isn't it wonderful? And why don't we all be that way all the time? The world would be such a nicer place to live in. Well, they're approaching a group of young teens who are on both sides of the road. The kids on one side threw a couple of firecrackers at the other side, and the other side retaliated by lighting up a whole five-cent package of firecrackers and throwing it across to the first throwers. But the kid who threw last was not very good at it, and the exploding firecrackers landed right on the Model A's hood. With the explosions of the firecrackers right in front of his face, Lester reacted immediately and actively. First, his body started shaking violently, and then he cried out. It was probably the first time in months the Marine had made a sound. Manley asked Joy what she thought they should do. Her answer was that she didn't know, but she had heard that a retired doctor was renting Isbart's cottage. There was a new name to Manley, but she knew the way, so they headed there. There were no lights on, but a brisk knock brought someone to the door. A voice through the closed door asked, Who is it, please? The doctor's wife, being from Chicago, was not about to open the door to strangers. The doctor, hearing the anxious voices, made an appearance and invited them in. But the first words out of his mouth were, I'm a retired podiatrist. You think I can actually help you here? Joy spoke up. My brother Lester was fighting on Okinawa and suffered some kind of trauma and hadn't spoken in well over a year. But just now a package of firecrackers blew up close to him and seems to have brought him back a little. I guess what we would like from you, doctor, is confirmation that this is true, that the shock of the exploding firecrackers might have started his recovery. Do you think that is possible? Well, <laughs> from what you've told me, my gut feeling is that he has been in God's hands, and from there, everything is possible. Of course, that's only my opinion, but it is based on many years of miracles as a foot doctor. <laughs> I think God is smiling on you. Well, they headed for the Falkinghams again, and they both happily noticed that Lester seemed more and more responsive. Arriving at the well-lit house, Lester got out on his own. Joy reached over and kissed Manley a quick peck on his lips. Just as she slid over to get out, Manley stopped her with, It must be true. God does move in mysterious ways. Watching Lester in his father's arms, Joy gave a beautiful smile and said, I can never thank you enough. Maybe I'll see you tomorrow. With that, she was gone, leaving Manly 
even more smitten. But he wasn't so happy when he got to Ferry Dock, where the LCVP was supposed to be, but actually wasn't. He couldn't imagine where it might be. Standing by the truck, he thought he might be hearing a strange noise. Sure enough, the sound was coming closer, and soon he could hear many voices, and mostly female. Sperma brought the landing barge into the dock smartly. The tide was high, so he saw his partner on the dock. Where you been? I've hung around here so long as barnacles growing on my rear. You want to ride home or are you going to let the barnacles take over? We live in a here. We got no other place. Sperma said, I got to go fix the lines. And as he jumped aboard, he heard a female voice ask, Aren't we going to have another shakedown cruise, Sperma? No, Glamopus, that's it for tonight. But it was my turn to be skipper. She had a sulky-sounding voice. Sperma didn't answer. He busied himself lengthening the tie-up lines with Manly looking on. Because of the extreme tides in Maine, tying to a stationary object like a pier took a lot of experience as a rule. But Sperma seemed to be doing a real good job with no experience. That was one thing you better learn. With spermosomes, life was simply full of surprises. Early the next morning, there he was waiting for Manly again to find him in the middle of the road in his customary berth. The first thing we gotta do is move that LCVP. I think there's an early ferry this time of year. Still low tide, ain't it? Sperma asked. Holy smoke and little fishes. I clean forgot the bus. You're right, dead low. He was surprised that Sperma had to straighten him out. Let's go over to Sam's and see what he's up to. Before he could answer, he saw the bus coming along the beach. Probably we should see Uncle Henry before we go, find out what he can tell us about that pot walk. The bus climbed off the beach and pulled to a stop across from the store. Manly pulled up behind the bus and waited while a couple with a little girl and an even littler boy toting luggage got off the bus. Harvey Longstreet tried to help them, but they couldn't understand him and wouldn't let him touch the luggage. It was good that it didn't seem to bother the man. I was talking to Harvey about you boys this morning. Got to thinking about how slick it was to drive the truck right on and take it right with you. Why wouldn't that be a great addition to the Scuttle Bus and Ferry Company? What if that landing patch turned out to be not suitable for hauling traps? Not that I know a damn thing about hauling traps. Sperma had listened to Henry carefully and said, You'd like to borrow our boat to haul stuff? Henry answered with a smile. Well, not exactly, Sperma. It's more like I'd buy it for a price that should put you boys in a fairly decent real lobster boat. Manley was not sure that his Uncle Henry was not giving them a safety valve in case they needed it. So he spoke up. That's something I guess we got to think about, Uncle Henry. Why wouldn't you just go up to Portland and buy another LCVP? <laughs> the last time I was up to Portland, we still had prohibition going on. I was there to meet up with a woman I'd taken a shine to on the ferry. I took her to dinner at the hotel I was staying at, 
And then was totally disgusted with her when she kept drinking bootleg liquor. She ended up drunk, and I ended up putting her in a taxi. I found out later that she had a husband who was out west in the Civilian Conservation Corps. Was I some lucky to escape that mess? Anyhow, the way I feel about Portland, I wouldn't go up there for my own funeral. Then he noticed people gathering outside the closed bus doors. Better get a move on. The boys drove on down to Sam's, and Manley was amazed to see a stack of new lobster traps in the yard. Don't tell me Sam's going lobstering too. <laughs> he better not with them traps. They all got my number branded on them. Oh, yeah. I looked all over the place for your branding iron. Where's it hid? The fact that I ain't got one would have made it quite difficult to find, wouldn't you say? <laughs> they both thought that was quite laughable. Sam came out of the boat shop and approached the truck. Well, good morning, Mr. and Mrs. North and South America and all the ships at sea. No question he'd been listening to Walter Winchell on the radio. What are we doing today? And yesterday, I wonder, do you? Sam was careful to not hurt their feelings. You brought home an LCVP, yes? She will be a very brave boat for you. Lots of beaches. She made a mahogany, and she's shoal. Sam had finished up a lobster-style boat that had taken all spring to build, mainly because the owner kept changing his mind and wanting to build it cheaper and cheaper. Sam felt that he would probably have trouble getting paid for the changes, even though every change was documented by his wife, Edna. Now it was looking like the stockbroker wouldn't be buying the boat at all. He actually had just gotten a call the day before from a Mr. Larry Flower, who seemed about to cry when he was told his stock had taken another dive and had wiped him out. They were all in the shop looking at the new boat, when out of the blue, Sperma said, that landed badge don't work out. We'll probably buy her. Manley almost had a heart attack, but he didn't tell Sam his newest boat was beautiful. Back up by the traps, Manley got up the courage to ask Sam how much they owed him. The answer confirmed what Sperma had said. They owed him nothing. <laughs> you can't run a business that way, Sam. You must have spoken to Edna. I think my wife said the very same thing. Then Manley suddenly remembered. Oh, shoot, I'm supposed to go back and pick up Richie this morning. I'd better get a move on. He told his buddy that he'd be right back to help move their boat. Scuttlebutt, ain't it a shame? Nobody knows, nobody's to blame. The truth ain't pretty, I think you'll agree. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me.